So the, the 30 second recap, no, 15, we'll get it down to 15 second recap, really is we all fall into that trap from time to time of thinking that we are our surroundings. Do you know what, what I mean? That we have this tendency to think that we are who we are and where we live, the, um, the roles that we play, you know, well, I am the father, you know, I am the sister, um, I am the, where I work, you know, I, I am my profession, I am even the thoughts that I have in my head. And the premise of this book, and I think it's a good one, is, well, yeah, we are those things to a degree, but there is a part of us that is unchangeable. There is a part of us that is metaphysical. There is a part of us that is inseparable from the one source, the one power that is God. And if we keep sight of that unchangeable part of things, then the changeable part of life, right? Because all those roles, all those... Um, relationships, all those attributes that we have change with time. Sometimes for the better, sometimes for the worse, sometimes in the most unexpected ways. And if we, we put all of our emphasis on how we look or what we do or what our profession is or what our relationships feel like or things like that, we sooner or later are going to take that great fall. Because I'm here to tell you, things don't last, but I last. There is a part in each one of us that is here for the forever. And that's the part we're talking about this month. Okay, so this week I want to talk about a couple little things. Well, I wish they were little. That can stand in the way of that working out for us. And what I'm talking about is freedom. And of course, the flip side of that is bondage. But let's start out with a joke about freedom, if you don't mind. And I think it'll help to illustrate perhaps both sides of this coin. So one day, a rabbit managed to break free from his laboratory where he had been born and raised and used part of a long-term experiment. As he scurried away from the fencing of the compound, he felt grass under his little paws for the first time in his life. Wow, this is beautiful, he thought. It wasn't long before he came to a hedge, and after squeezing under it, he saw the wonderful sight of other rabbits, wild rabbits, all free and nibbling at lush grass. Hey, he called, I'm a rabbit from the laboratory over the way, and I, I just escaped. Are you wild rabbits? Yes, come and play with us, they said. So our friend hopped over to them and started eating the grass. Tasted so sweet, so good. What else do wild rabbits do, he asked. Well, one of them said, you see that field over there? It's got carrots growing in it. We dig them up and we eat them. <laughs> this, of course, he couldn't resist, so he spent the next hour eating the most succulent carrots. They were lovely. That was so sweet, he said. So are you going to live with us then, one of them asked. Oh, well, um, I did have a great time, he said, but you know, I really can't. The wild rabbit stared at him, a bit surprised. Well, why not? We thought you liked it here. Oh, I do, our friend replied, but I must get back to the lab. I'm just dying for a cigarette. <laughs> you didn't quite see that one coming, did you? <laughs> All right. Well, what I'm here to suggest, what I'm here to suggest is some of the things some of the self-imposed bondages that we put ourselves in are just as addictive as the cigarettes were to that rabbit in the story. 
Honestly, I think we've probably all known people who've had their little peculiarities, their, their little character flaws, or, or, or their little physical issues, or whatever it might be. And haven't you known people that held on to them just, you know, as though that were their life? And again, we're getting back to the idea of our roles and, and some of our survival instincts. But here's the way that they talks about it in this book. It's, it's really that we're addicted in a way to our own bondage, to our own things that keep us down and keep us from experiencing our true lives. So here's, a, here's what he says in this book, The Untethered Soul. He says, your attempts to protect yourself from your problems actually creates more problems. If you attempt to arrange people, places, and things so that they don't disturb you, it will begin to feel like life is simply against you altogether. You'll feel that life is a struggle and that every day is heavy because you have to control and fight with everything. The alternative is to decide not to fight against life at all. And so that's what we're going to talk about. And I want to use a little bit of an extended, um, little bit of an extended metaphor today. And, and I got this idea. I was watching Annette and Arlene. Did you know almost every Sunday they lovingly remove the thorns from the roses that we pass out to people? You know, we get our roses, I think, from Safeway, I think, you know, full of thorns. And because they're gifts to the newcomers, um, you know, they spend some time removing the thorns. And I thought, what a lovely metaphor. And so picture, if you will, that I was helping Annette and Arlene, and, and in my own <laughs> clumsy way, I've got a thorn in this finger. Well, of course, the first thing I'm going to think to do, because I notice that if I wiggle it, that's when I get the real zingers, right? If it's just sitting there, it hurts, but it doesn't hurt so bad. But if I wiggle it a bit, have you ever had a little sore that you just bothered the heck out of? Yeah, well, that's what I noticed first. And so luckily, I'm always equipped with my SpongeBob Band-Aids. <laughs> so let me get out a SpongeBob Band-Aid here. And I think then I'll at least be able to get through the sermon, you know, because it, it's bugging me. But what I notice is if kind of I bump it, then it, then it really drives me nuts. So, so let me just put that over the thorn. Yikes, it hurts, but I think that way will be good. Okay. Ah, oh my gosh, I guess that isn't good. Well, I have, you know, another little plan, but I think I'm going to need some help. And I, and I asked Emily if she might be able to help me with this, because although I made this finger protector at home, um, <laughs> I, I can't really put it on my. Oh no, I think that, I don't think we should just shove it through. Maybe if we take the would take the lid off. All right. And thank you so much for helping me with this, cause yikes. Ah. Okay. All right. All right. Now we'll put this in. Yeah. Just like that. Okay. All right. There. So see, I I've got the band aid, and now we have my protecto shield. Actually, it's Tupperware, but <laughs> but anyway, I think that will work. Thank you You're so welcome. much. I, ah! Oh my gosh! Oh, that's still not so good. You want to take it off? Because when I I ow, oh. <laughs> um, would you help me with one more thing? Sure. Because I do have kind of a you know me. I've got yeah. a backup plan. Okay. So I sort of made this little kind of a, a it's like a little device kind of. And, and I brought some tape, so and I and I bet, I bet, 
Yeah, and then if maybe you can tape it up. This way, I'm sure that whether I get hugged or, you know, kind of no matter. Yeah, give, I think we need a lot of... Yeah, I think so. I don't want to take a chance. It hurts like you don't believe. My God. All right. Okay. I think that'll do it for now. Now let's give it so. let's give it the hug test because you know that's what I'm all okay. about. I think this will. Oh yeah. Okay. Perfect. Better. Thank you. Oh, I appreciate your help. Okay. All right. Now I'm set. Well, what are you looking at? It's just a little thing that protects me from hurt. Well, you know I can kind of see your point though. Do we have any artists here? Because I'm thinking that maybe if it was painted to be decorative, <laughs> then it wouldn't be so obvious. It wouldn't be such a big of a deal. Of course, I, I was sort of also thinking, though, uh, you know, when I go to sleep tonight, this is going to be a little bit weird, isn't it? I wonder if, you know, we have one of those foam mattresses. I wonder if I just took a knife, I could carve out a spot for the box to go in. And then if we got the extra big fitted sheets, it would kind of, do you know what I mean? I think I can deal with that. All right, that's good. Oh, shoot, though. How am I going to get home? I don't think I can drive with this. Does anyone know, do we have dealers in town where they have the handicap controls for cars so that you only know? Do you see where I'm going with this? My entire life, could be about the thorn. My entire life, yeah, no kidding. Whoever grown, my entire life, in short, before long, I'd have a bigger box, wouldn't I? Before long, everything would be specialized in such a way that I wouldn't have to feel the pain anymore. And pretty soon, I wouldn't be known as Larry the minister anymore, would I? I'd be known as Larry the guy with the thorn and the weird ideas of how to save himself from all pain. Well, what I got to tell you is we're all kind of like this. Our thorns aren't on the outside, but all of us, all of us have small wounds from when we were growing up. All of us have that defeat that maybe comes with a love that was lost or, or a close friend that isn't a close friend anymore. All of us have the little wounds of being told we weren't quite good enough or lovable enough. And, and you know, another example of this, uh, although I'm an only child and my parents were only children, uh, my grandparents had huge big families. And, and, in, and, and in one of these families, I had a great Aunt Emma. And Aunt Emma... She was one of nine children, and I think she was towards the end, because what I got from Aunt Emma was she never felt heard. And it may be, in fact, that she wasn't when she was growing up, literally, you know, with the, working on the farm and the kids all around and, you know, just the hubbub of that big of a family. It may be an actual fact that as a child she wasn't heard. And I got to tell you, much in the same way that I have gone crazy with protecting my wound, her woundedness of not being heard enough and perhaps not feeling loved enough created whole elaborate schemes in her life as well. For one thing, she could not remain silent. If a room was silent, this was fearful for her. This meant that there was no input, no potential for being loved, no potential for being heard. And so if the room was silent, she filled it up. 
She absolutely filled it up. Another thing that she did, and, and again, I think it was to draw people to her in a meaningful way, she made sure there was always something wrong. Sometimes it were medical things, sometimes it were things around the house, but she always made sure that there were several appointments at the doctor during the week, several you know, plumbers coming, you know, whatever it was, she was going to make sure that people were coming into her home or she was going to visit them because it was a way of feeling connected with people. She felt desperate. If the house was empty, if the house was quiet, there was a part in her that no matter really what she did, always felt alone, always had that feeling of not quite good enough. And, and the, the elaborate techniques that she used to try to mitigate that so that she wouldn't feel quite so alone. But you know what? I swear to gosh, I went to a family reunion at her house when I was about 16. There were 100 people there. And she was alone in the corner by herself. No matter what protective, mag it was at her house. You know, She threw it so that she wouldn't feel alone. And yet in the midst of all of those family, in the midst of all of that love, she felt just as alone. Emily, can, can you maybe help me get out of this now? All right. So, uh, uh, tape, I think. All right, thank you. It really is funny when your right hand is... All right, thank you. So, of course, probably even when most of you... Let's see if this part... Luckily, I don't have a thorn. <laughs> Getting out of it would be just as painful, I think. Thank you, dear. Okay. So, of course, the instant I did this, there were at least a few of you in the audience that said, well, he's just being silly. Why doesn't he take the thorn out? But the trick is, when the thorn's in here, when it's one of those wounds, maybe that we've built elaborate mechanisms up over many years to try to not think about the wound, to try to avoid re-injuring it, you know, whatever it is, this is a little trickier. And so this lovely book, The Untethered Soul, has some advice for us. But first of all, they caution that the longer we wait to remove the thorn, the harder it will be, the more difficult. And part of it is that we have built up these elaborate coping skills. Picture the person who really identifies themselves with their disease or with something you know, negative that goes on in the world. If you take that away from them, there's like nothing left. And this is because the coping mechanisms, these roles, have started being who we are. And so the longer we wait, the bigger the chance that it will be really hard to pull out that thorn, that there will be seemingly as much pain around removing the thorn as any kind of pain we've experienced still having it. And, uh, and Michael Singer says, actually, this is the law of psychological pain. He says, when your button gets pushed, release it right away. It never gets easier. So remember that one. If you're feeling like you've been slighted, if you're feeling that initial little um, sting of something going on in your life, if you don't feel the feeling then, if you don't process the emotion then, it will never get easier. A lot of times we think, well, I'll just deal with that later, right? 
I'll deal with that when I have some time to really think about this, you know? It's kind of, it's making me feel like I was a little boy again when dad did whatever, and, but I'm kind of busy right now, and, and it felt very hurtful, but I'll deal with that later. I gotta tell you, it actually never gets easier, and the likelihood is you'll build ever more complicated and bizarre coping mechanisms that will begin to define your very life. So what is my thorn, or what is your thorn? Each of us probably have some of these hurts. I'll read out some of the most common ones. You know that I talk to a lot of people in my daily life, and and this is maybe kind of the top 40. (laughs) Well, I'll do maybe top 10 of, of the internal pain, the internal thorns. One of them is simply not feeling loved enough. And it is amazing what people will do. A friend of mine, I noticed that he was kind of um, neurotically, I would say, calculating the tips at a restaurant. I mean, he really wanted to get 20%, right? And he was like, you know, oh, oh, I forgot the appetizer and, you know, and and working this out. I said, what's that about? Uh, I mean, I like to tip well, too. I mean, I'm, a, I think, a reasonable tipper, but I just kind of round it up in my head and I'm done with it. And he said, oh, well, I want to make sure that, that the wait staff here likes me. It was nothing about, really, you know, either acknowledging extreme good service. It wasn't even about making sure that the wait staff were paid appropriately, because I know that's an issue in some restaurants. This was one of his coping mechanisms around not feeling loved enough. It was so important to him that even knowing that a waiter would would feel good about him, it was like that was important. So do not minimize some of these little coping things that you will see, and they can be used to pinpoint in our own selves things that we do that show that we're just not feeling loved enough. Another uh, real common one is feeling less than or or not capable of doing something. And a lot of us uh, along the way in school or when we were children were told, you know, you just don't, um, oh, well, that's really sweet, but you're never going to be an artist, right? Or or that was a lovely little uh, dance performance you did, dear. Um, And and it's a good thing you're not going to have to depend on being a ballerina. You know what I mean? I hear those kinds of things all the time that parents do to their children. And I think what they're trying to do is maybe lowering expectations a little bit. But the result of it can be, we hold these as little wounds of not being good enough, not being capable enough, not being able to do what we really want to do in the world. Now the real common one is, in, is not feeling in control. And have you ever noticed the coping mechanisms that people have when they feel like their life is out of control? They will begin to control with such vigor and such tightness what they do have control over. And suddenly you'll have you know, couples fighting over what channel to watch on the TV at night or, or what brand of milk is on sale and just crazy things. You know, When control goes wild, it's because there's a part of us that feels out of control. And that's a little wound that many of us have. And another common one, like my Aunt Ella, is simply not being noticed, not being heard, and some of the coping mechanisms that can go with that. So, so that's kind of the top 10. You may have some different ones. You may have some similar ones. And the rest of my talk today is simply going to be about how we pluck that thorn. 
So if you know you've got one, if you've kind of identified one of your issues that's sort of a hot button, it's a, maybe a topic that you can't talk about or, a, or a, a topic that you kind of skirt around, keep that in mind as I go through these um, hopefully kind of simple ideas on how to actually remove the thorn instead of covering it up in layers and layers of coping mechanism. The first one, simply give your mind a break. We have spent most of our adult lives giving our mind, what, the task of making things better. And so, of course, our mind only knows how to make things better out in the world. So I'm lonely, and so mind, make it so I'm never lonely. Okay, well, let's have things at our house. You know, let's uh, have doctor's appointments. Let's, uh, you know, let's make sure that I am never alone. That's the best that the mind can come up with, right? But this is not a solution. When the wound is on the inside, the mind can't fix that by organizing our outside. We can organize it from here to kingdom come, and still that feeling of loneliness might be in there. So the first step is simply to give your mind a rest. Give it permission to do some other information processing, right? It's like a big computer. If the only task you're going to give it is to minimize, cover up, or find solutions for, for the small little psychological hurts we have, one thing is you're using a huge resource, right, for something that's doomed, really, to failure. So let's put it on to something more interesting. Let's put it on to expressing our creativity. Let's put our mind on to more pleasant things, to maybe being recreational or being more loving or whatever it is you want to see more in your life. Let's use our brain power, our thoughts, our creativeness and our problem solvings to things where the problems can be solved out in the world. Not to the intangibles, not to those things that ultimately, ultimately require a change of heart not a change of mind. Step two is that we need to become more of the observer. So when those little thoughts, those little pains, those little um, kind of tweaking of wounds, you know, my, again, my example of having the thorn, sometimes when people say things, isn't it like there's a thorn in your finger and they've kind of wiggled it a little bit? whether it's a kind of a slight that they might say, whether it's including me when I don't want to be included or not including me when I did want to be included or, you know, it's like you name it, I can probably figure out a way to make it be a slight to, that someone isn't paying attention to me or liking me or whatever. And when those thoughts come up, when you get that little twinge of shame or regret, that little pang of fear, that feeling in the stomach that, that you're just not good enough, Simply tell your mind that you don't need to do anything. There is nothing here that needs to be done. I'm going to feel the feeling. I'm going to feel a little bit of shame. I'm going to feel a little bit of fear. Whatever that feeling is that came to you, I'm going to accept that. I know that feelings, what? They come and they go. And so I'm going to let it come. I'm going to feel it. I know that it's no big thing because... Here it goes. And the same with the thoughts that might accompany it. Any thoughts of not being good enough, any thoughts of I wish I should have done this, or, or how do I do that? Just observe the thought and do nothing. Feel the feelings and let it pass. Ultimately, what other people think of you is none of your business. 
Ultimately, what other people think of you is none of your business. Your business is right here. Your business is nurturing your own heart. And it doesn't require any activity on the outside at all. All right, then the third step. Oh, in fact, back to second step for just a second. He even says that this is how the addictive part of our personality begins adding the layers here. If we acknowledge those voices, if we acknowledge those thoughts, we're actually making the groove of pain a little deeper. We're actually adding like a, a second wave, a second helping. <laughs> you, do you know what I mean? It's like we're heaping on another helping of whatever that pain was to begin with, making it harder to get rid of, making it harder to digest. <coughs> So not only is it important not to give any weight to these thoughts and emotions as they come up if they're hurtful, he would even say that if you do that, you're, you're making the trench even harder for you to dig yourself out of. It's going to be, in the end, more addictive to stay with the thorn in your finger than it is to get rid of it. All right, then the third step is wonderfully proactive, and I love this one. He says, find a transition time in your day, four or five of them, where you can proactively say something to yourself. And his example might be, okay, as I get into the car to go to work, or as I get out of the car coming home, or maybe right before I make that phone call, or he would say it might be uh, right before I have that important conversation. And what he suggests is to remind yourself that you're not going to get involved in your own drama. <laughs> so say to yourself before you pick up that phone, you know, this, is this phone call is going to be just fine, and I am not going to get involved in my own drama. There may be drama. You know, you never know but I don't need to be involved in it. And he further says, remind yourself that you don't want to play the mind game anymore. You can't win it. It's one of those games that cannot be won by the mind. The only way it can be won, and of course winning, is to feel safe and secured and loved and honored and full of joy. The only way you can win in that sense is right here. It's not through your thoughts. It's not through the way people outpicture in the world. It's not through inviting, you know, 60 of your family to a family reunion and then sitting lonely in the corner. The only way you can win in this game is not through the mind at all. It's through your heart. It's through keeping your heart open. And when the thoughts of negativity or pain come your way, when the thoughts and emotions that go with um, childhood hurts and, and other um, kind of touchy spots that you have come your way is to simply allow yourself to think them, allow yourself to feel them, and do nothing. Just say, well, that was interesting, and I'm, and I'm glad it's gone. <laughs> All right. So again, the, the third part is to remind yourself on an ongoing basis throughout the day when you're doing one of those change of gear things like I'm just coming home from work or maybe I'm just settling down for the evening, remind yourself that you are not going to get involved in any of your own drama. You're going to just let life unfold. And when you let life unfold, there's some good news here. You have the energy and the intelligence and the mind power and the heart power to really enjoy it. Can you imagine with me in my, in my get-up, how could I enjoy a day at the zoo, right? How could I in, enjoy a hike in the woods or 
Well, we're all the same way with our own psychological coping mechanisms. We cannot actually enjoy a vacation often because we're wound up in what are people thinking about me and how am I going to do this and what about that? When you set your mind free, when you allow the thoughts to come up, but you're just the observer of them, when you're not playing the mind game with yourself, you can put 100% of your heart, you can begin shifting 100% of your mind into really enjoying what is right before you. So I'd like to close today with a, a final quote from this book and a prayer. Mr. Sayer says, This is the core of our spiritual work. When you are comfortable with pain passing through you, you will be fine. The world will never be able to bother you again because the worst that the world can possibly do is to hit the pain button that is stored within you. Eventually you will understand that there is an ocean, an ocean of love and understanding behind all of this all of this fear and all of this pain. So let us pray. There is one power and one presence in this universe. It is this thing called God. And what I know about God is that it is the irrepressible joy of life itself. And as we experience this joy, I know that it takes place from that free heart, from that place of understanding that our thoughts and our emotions are transient and there is something more important, something more individual, and something that is uniquely part of God that is behind it. It is that soul. It is that heart space. And I know that it means me. I know that in my life it's easy for me to let go of any hurts or, or um, emotional thorns that re are represented in my life. Easy to let them go once and for all and forever. And as it is true for me, I know it is true for each person in this room, that each person here has that ability to know they do not need to play the mind game, that each person here, when issues come up, can simply look at it and go, my goodness, look at my thoughts around that, and smile and do nothing. And I am simply grateful for this awareness. I'm simply grateful in knowing that the time and that the resources of our minds and our hearts can always be put to something that is possible, that is beautiful, that is wholesome, that is loving. And so in gratitude, I simply let it be. And together we say, and so it is. Thank you very much. Thank you.